Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. So glad that you're here with us today. You made it out, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, I always mention uh, for our guests to come at least three times. Everybody say three times. All right, yeah, we say that because we know that when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience, and so we want you to come back, hopefully check us out over a set period of time, and we want to be your spiritual family. That's kind of our goal. We want to be connected to you, and uh, and hopefully you'll find this uh, uh, to be your church. We want to also welcome all those watching on Facebook Live uh, in digital land, whether you're at home, maybe you're sick, or you're watching your PJs. We're so glad that you're a part of this. You're with us, and uh, so glad that you're here. Speaking of Facebook, if you have Facebook, will you take out your phone right now? Like, can I have my phone in church? Church. Yes, you can. And so uh, you can take it out and just check in, let people know that you are here at church. And so if you're anything like me and you're a Saints fan, you have nothing else to root for anyway. So, uh, you know, you might as well be at church. So I think right now, just let everybody know you're here, you're with God. And if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you really need church. So anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. Did I lose half of y'all? I did, huh? People be telling me, like, Pastor, you got to be careful, man. It's Dallas Cowboys. You want to shrink the church. I'm like, well, if we didn't have the pastor, the church would be great. So anyway, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7 today, Acts chapter 7. And it, that's in the New Testament. So if you don't know anything about Scripture or the Bible, the New Testament is kind of the second half of the Bible. And uh, it goes Matthew, starts off Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then right after John, it goes to Acts. And Acts is really a book about uh, really what happened What right when Jesus uh, left this earth. So he dies and he rises up and then he actually goes to be with God the Father, and he leaves the church to his apostles or to his disciples, and he says, hey, it's your job. It's time for you to take it on, and the acts of the apostles or acts really shows us what happens, and that's where we're going to be at today, and uh, we're starting a brand new series called Level Up. Everybody say Level Up. All right, look at your neighbor and say Level Up. All right, I just made it weird for half of you in here, but here's the problem is that a lot of us, right, this year we're looking at, it's a brand new year, it's 2020, we're looking at how God, God, how can we get better than we did last year? None of us woke up today and said, hey, last year was great, this year I'm looking to have even worse of a year. No one said that. Everyone got up saying, hey, I want to have a better year. You want to have a better year. You don't have to be a Christian in here, and you want to level up in 2020, and God has a lot to say about that. The Bible has a lot to say about, and that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, level up, and how to really today, if you're taking notes, the name of my message today is Redefining Success, Redefining Success, because uh, we're going to look at a story in Scripture inside of Acts with someone who thought he was doing the right thing and turned out to be the wrong thing. So Acts chapter 7, verse 54 is where we're going to be. Before I give you, there's some context I want to give you to real quick. So what's happened to this point is that, again, Jesus has left his church to his disciples. There was a man named Stephen who was one of the kind of the early apostles or disciples with Jesus. He's walking around. His primary responsibility was to give food to the widows. He was one of seven apostles to do that. And Stephen's recorded to be one of the first martyrs or people who died for the faith of Jesus Christ. Have died over. Uh, they called themselves followers of the way. That was like kind of the Christians uh, back in the day. And so this, he, he gets in trouble with the local Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day by accusing them of, uh, uh, of uh, killing Jesus or killing the Messiah, which is true. But they get mad about that. And then it tells us what happens in uh, chapter 7, verse 54. That's kind of the context of where we're at. So we're all caught up. And now we can read what's kind of going on. So verse 54, it says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. Again, the accusation was that they killed Jesus, the Messiah. And they shook their fists at him in rage. In verse 55, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor 
at God's right hand. So just a side note for any of you, it's just kind of looking. If you guys feel like you're about to walk into something tough, this is just a side note. This isn't even in my notes. But if you ever feel like you're going to walk into a battle, you're about to go be accused of something. Maybe you're about to go into a tough moment. Maybe there's going to be a a life-changing instant. Do what Stephen did and stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's something about the strength that's caused and given upon you. Because when you know you're about to go in to mess with something tough or going to go fight a major battle, you don't want to do it alone. And so he goes into verse 56 and he told them, he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing in the right place, the honor of God's right hand. And verse 57, it says, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. Now, none of that's ever happened to you, right? When you, you, you started speaking life, starting speaking good things, God's speaking to you. You're starting to tell people good things. And the people who are accusing you of, of bad things, they put hands over their ears, right? They don't listen. Come on, right? Anybody? They don't listen. And then they start screaming at you, right? Even more. And you're trying to be kind and trying to be godly and trying to be a Christian and they make it hard. That's what they're doing. So then then they rushed him. In verse 58, it says, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. So they started to kill him. And the accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, this is the first appearance that we see where they actually mentioned the, the apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. They call him Saul here because he hasn't had his conversion moment with Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to see in verse cha- in chapter 8 where Paul or Saul at this time starts to affirm all of the killings of the people of the way or all followers of Jesus. And it gets to chapter nine, where Saul now has his moment with Jesus. This is important. So we'll pick it up and it says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. This is why he went to the high priest. He's mad. He's talking about how he's wanting to go kill all the people following Jesus. He asked the letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any of who were of the way, there it is. That's that word, the Christians who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It goes on to say that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And this is what happened. So this is he's on his way to Damascus. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, how many of y'all know that'd be kind of weird, right? You're driving in your car. All of a sudden, some light hits you and some, you know, from the light, it starts talking to you. Saul, you know, Aaron, Aaron, what's wrong with you? That's basically what happened. In verse five, it says, and he said, who are you, Lord? So this is Saul responding back to God. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In verse 6, he says, So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, this is, our, this is our, our kind of wrapping up moment today. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you, what do you want me to do? And with that as the backdrop is Scripture, let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you that we're here today and we're honored to be in your presence. I pray that, to, Lord, today you would uh, teach us something. I, I know I prepared notes but, but Holy Spirit, I know you got a message specifically for our hearts. And so I just pray you take what I prepared and, and transform it and, and, and give, it, give it power by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk out of here different than we walked in, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, You know, I, I find it interesting that, that Paul has this moment with God because he, if you would have asked Paul before this moment, he would have been so sure he was doing the right thing. I mean, the Bible records and shows us that Paul was the most zealous of Pharisees, that he was the one leading the charge against 
the, the people of the way. He was the one asking the high priest for permission to kill other Christians. And if you would have sat down with Paul, I guarantee you, you would have asked him, Paul, do you feel like you're doing the right thing? And he would have looked you in your eye, passed every lie detector test and said, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing my purpose. And yet he has a moment with God that shows him he isn't. Has anybody ever had that moment where you were doing something 100%? You felt in your spirit. You're like, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And God called me to this. And, blah, blah, blah. and then halfway through it, you realize you're like, well, that wasn't God. That was kind of bad pizza, right? <laughs> anybody ever had that moment? You got confused in the moment. You're like, well, I thought this was what I was supposed to. Come on, guys, right? When you had kids, you thought for sure. I have kids, things are going to change. And they did, they just changed for the worse, right? Like you got crazy, like all your time got taken and all your money, you can't go on your boat no more, right? It's like life just changed. Or, or ladies, you know, you thought when you were married, that guy, you thought, you thought for sure, God, if I marry him, he's going to change. And he got worse. That frog became a toad, right? It just got worse. I grew, up in, um, I grew up in youth ministry in a small little church with 75 people. And, you know, we had like 10 kids in our youth ministry. We were all teenagers. And so I dated all my, the girls in the, you know, the youth ministry like eight times around, you know. And at some point, you just got to, it's just is what it is, you know. It's, you just got to pick one, I guess. I guess that's how it was. And that was kind of our parents' own version of, uh, you, know, you know, arranged marriages, I guess. I don't know. But I was in a small youth ministry. And we used to do these things called lock-ins. Anybody ever do a lock-in when you were a kid? Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. Those things are demonic. Here's why. Whoever thought of that was not like a, a, like a person who understood safety. Lock-ins are basically this. You know, you as a parent would bring your teenager. Now, I understand why parents would do it now because I got kids, and I'm like, absolutely. I got one night away from my children. Bet. Yes, it's time to go. And so I'd pack them up, and they'd be gone. But they would bring them to the church, and then what the youth leaders would do is they'd all get the leaders, and they'd put them all in the church, and they'd lock the doors. They'd lock them in. So you can't go out, and you have them all in here, and it's just, it's, it was just utter chaos. You play games all night. You stay up all night. You eat pizza. It was, you know, it was awesome as a teenager. But one time, my, my, my youth pastors, they decided, they said, hey, let's do something different. Let's separate the girls because, you know, we'll put the girls with the, with the youth pastor's wife at their house, and we'll put the guys at a friend's house, and we'll put all the guys over here, and we'll separate them, and we'll have guys' time. We'll have girls' time. And we're like, that sounds like a great idea. So the guys go, and we're sitting there, and we're watching a movie. We get done with the movie. play a game. We get done with the game. It's getting late. It's like two in the morning. And we're like, we don't want to go to sleep because mom's not here. Now we can stay up all night. What are we going to do? So we hatched a plan uh, that was, was so sure of its success. I felt like, and I was the leader of this plan. I had an idea. I said, what if we went to the girls' lock-in area that we knock on the door, we open the door, and then we egg the girls like all in there. And we, we and so that was my original idea. And then as guys started getting into it, we started all coming together because, you know, good things happen when teenage boys get all get together. And so we all start talking. And so what turned into like, let's scare the girls turned into they lived in an apartment complex. So we were going to go to the apartment complex, open the door, run in, throw eggs. We got so we went to the store. We got mayonnaise. We got ranch. We got mustard. We got ketchup. We got everything that could squeeze in was liquid, right? And so we ran in. We we knocked on the door. We get all we you know we dressed in black and put ski masks on. We rolled all in one truck. Ten teenage boys in one truck. There was some in the bed of the truck. This is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where there really is no law. And so we're out there. 
we're driving, we drive into the thing, we run, we knock on the door. I was the knock on the door guy, so I'm knocking on the door. My youth pastor, which, which makes no sense now because that was his house too. We were going to destroy his house too. He didn't think. And so I'm knocking on the door and they open the door. I kicked it open and all the guys run in. I mean, there's mayonnaise everywhere, mustard, ketchup, ranch. I mean, eggs. It was it was awesome. And so anyway, we're throwing it everywhere. The youth pastor's wife is in the corner, dry heaving, crying because it's in her hair. It's on her couch. She had white couches. It was awesome. And so I feel bad. And so, uh, so we're in there. We get out. We start running. We get to the truck because, you know, they're started, the girls started to figure out they got eggs too. So they're starting to throw stuff. We start getting, there's one way out of this apartment complex. And who would have thought there were police cars stopped all cars coming in and coming out, someone had called the cops because they saw a bunch of people in black clothing running into an apartment, people screaming. There were cops everywhere. They So our truck stops. We jump out. It's like ants scatter everywhere because I'm Mexican, y'all. You see cops, you just start running, right? You figure it out later. I'll just be sitting. Sometimes I'll be sitting on one of those like, you know, this wasn't in the first service, but sometimes I'll be sitting on those out. Y'all ever go to those restaurants? where they, they like, you know, you could sit on the patio, you know. One time my wife and I were sitting on the patio. This ain't even in my, I might even get to my church, Bible. Anyway, so people were started to run one time. They were just running, and I just started running with them. And she's like, where are you going? I was like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out later. You just run. That's how it was. So anyway, so I'm sitting on the, on the so they rattle us all up, and we're sitting on the, on the uh, curb. And the police officer had his big old long light, you know, that big light where you hit people with it. And he, he's, he grabs the light and he comes up to me and he looks at me and he goes, he just, it's like he figured out that I was the ringleader. He shows the light to me and he goes, what are you, what are you doing with your life? You know, he had like that, that police voice looking at like somebody you're so disappointed in, you know? And I just, I looked at him, I said, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Could you not tell my parents at that point? You know, it's like, just keep me out of trouble. But you know, if you would have asked me on the way to doing that, I would have been like, this is success. You don't understand. I have a plan. I got this figured out. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry. It's going to all work out. And then I'm sitting on the curb realizing with the light shining on me going like, what are you, what are you what are you doing? This is the moment that Paul had with God. Because if you would ask Paul again, if he was doing what he felt he should be doing, if he had it all figured out, he would have, he would have told you yes. And the, the concern for me as a pastor and as a leader, because you know, like we have a church and we have people who call this place home and you are in here right now thinking about 2020. And you're thinking about just new year and you have goals and plans and resolutions and, and all of these ideas that you want to be a success this year and level up. And the problem is, is that you could get to the end of the year. Isn't this the fear of all of us is that you can get to the end of the year feeling like you succeeded in something and realize you succeeded in nothing? Come on. Get knocked off your horse a little bit. Has that ever happened to y'all at the end of your year? You look back and you didn't succeed in what you thought you were going to succeed in. Or the things you thought you succeed in were actually meant nothing. I like this quote from D.L. Moody. He says this. He says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. That you get to the end of 2020 and you're like, look what I did. And God goes, that didn't matter for nothing. Why are you kicking against the ghost? What are you doing? 
That's the fear in all of us. So if we don't have success figured out, if we don't have this idea of success understood, like really knowing what success is, we could miss out on God's purpose for our life. So I just wanted to share, just in the time we have left, maybe a few misconceptions, maybe a few myths of success that I think sometimes keep us from success, if I'm honest. First one is this, secrets. Some, some people think success in here is a secret. It's why we buy those books, right? Y'all seen those books? Have you ever gone to a, like, a, like, is there Barnes & Noble still? Like, I don't, you know, Amazon took them all out. Like, uh, y'all remember when they had bookstores, you know, like teenagers, like, what's a bookstore? Like, you went into a store and they sold books. That's what they were. And, you know, and, and so and they're like, what's Amazon? That's what Amazon's for. So, okay, talk to teenagers. It'll change your life. So anyway, I'm like, there was, if you go in these books, people sell books on like the myth of success. And if you buy this book, come on, how many of y'all seen that infomercial? If you just buy my book, 1995 plus shipping and handling, I'll give you the secrets of success. It's like success is only given to a few people and they don't want to tell you. And so you're kind of stuck. And you're like, well, maybe one day somebody will tell me the secret. <laughs> Have you ever, um, like 20 years ago, there was like when you played video games, they had these things called cheat codes. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember cheat codes? They don't do that anymore because, you know, Internet and, and Facebook and YouTube changed the games. So like everybody knows how to do everything now. But like they used to have companies who would sell books that had cheat codes built into the game. And I used to go to my friend's house, and they'd be like 20 levels ahead of where I was at. I'm like, how did you do that? They're like, oh, we got the cheat code, man. And I'm like, the cheat code, can you give me the cheat code? And they never would. I'm like, you ain't no friend. <laughs> but isn't that funny how sometimes in life we feel a little like that? You feel like someone has got the cheat code at life, and they're way ahead of you. They're, way, they're 20 levels ahead. And you're like, man, I wish I would have figured that out. I wish I knew the cheat code. There's no cheat code to success. Oftentimes, many of the people I find and I see that are most successful people, man, they, they just work hard at it. There's, some, there's something about it that they figured out. Yes, but it's not a secret. It's not just I need to get rich quick. And if you're not careful, you know what it leads to? It leads to you being lazy because then all you're doing is just waiting. And you say spiritual things like I'm just waiting on God. No, you ain't. God's waiting on you to get up, go do something. Second one is this, uh, success, this is another myth, success equals hard work. Now, I know it kind of seems opposite of what I just said, but, but, but some of us in here think that, like, the way you grew up, maybe the people that you were around, you were taught your whole life, you better work hard. If you don't work hard, you won't be a success. Now, I believe in hard work. I believe in honoring God with what God gave you, and that you and I are owners of nothing, stewards of everything, that everything you have in your hand has been given to you by God, and by honoring Him, the best thing you can do is work hard. So I believe in hard work, but success doesn't always mean uh, hard work. In fact, a lot of the people, they say, like, the early bird gets the what? Come on. You know. Early bird gets the worm. You came from maybe a background that said, just work hard, you'll be a success. The problem is, is, I know a whole lot of people who work really, really hard, and they would never qualify themselves as success. In your book or theirs. There's an interesting scripture in Ecclesiastes. This is written by a, a very, very, the Bible speaks about the wisest man who has ever lived. His name is Solomon. He says, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, okay, if it's dull and unsharpened, more strength is needed. But listen, skill will bring success. That there's sometimes you're going to have to be like intuitive. And you might not have to work harder. You might have to work smarter. Have you ever tried to cut a tomato with a dull knife? And then you got for Christmas 
come on, the Cutco events, super shiny knife. And it's almost like you can look at the tomato and you don't even have to use the knife. It just cuts itself because <laughs> it's sharp. Now, no one would say you had to work harder. They would say you would have to work a little smarter, right? You have to learn how to sharpen. You have to learn how to be a little bit more. Come on. You have to learn. So it's not always hard work. I'm not downing hard work, but I am saying it. That's not the only thing that success is. Third one, success is an event. That's what people think of success as an event. That I must only have a milestone moment. The theory here is, this is interesting. Get this. Don't miss this. Some of us believe that if success is the result of a powerful conference. I went and I saw someone talk to somebody and he screamed, you can do it. <laughs> With pumping music. Right? I bought his book. Tony Robbins got the secret. I went to his conference. He screamed in my face, and I walked on coals. It was awesome. <laughs> or it's an important meeting or decision, right? There's an event. It's like I did one thing, and it changed everything. Or it's like a big break, you know, you've been praying for. Or it's a title achievement. Some, it's, a, it's a money achievement. It's like once I made, has anybody ever heard that, that statement? You didn't say, you never said this. Other churches say this, but you've, where you've heard people say, when I just make this amount of money, I'll be a success. Did you know your college version of you would look at you right now and call you rich? They would look at you and go, you make what? A rich. You're a success. Some of you are waiting on that job title, that corner office in the cool building with the cool people on the cool floor with the cool title, doing the cool things. And, and, and then you get there. Have you ever, get, you ever gotten there and then you realize, I, I, I hate this. I've talked to more managers in my life and I'm, they're like, we all want to be a manager. When we become a manager and you all want to go back and go work again. Anybody else? It's never what you think it is. And the, again, the tendency is to think, man, I'm going to climb that corporate ladder. And then one day you get to the top of it, realize it's leaning against the wrong building. You're like, where? where did, how did I get here? Because you thought success was an event. You thought something would happen and then you'd feel success. I've noticed with the people that are successful that I've been able to sit in front of more often than not, it's the diligent step-by-step -step plans of successful people that tend to bring about their success. It's not an event. Fourth one is this. Maybe you, you believe that success hinges on a relationship. It's a myth. This is, I must only meet someone. Now, I'm not saying relationships are, your destiny is not tied to your relationships because I think it is. But a lot of times, sometimes you can look at your life. Have you ever looked at someone who came from a really good family, a really good background? They seemed like they had all the right friends. Maybe they came from the right college. They had the right connections. And they seem to be a success. And if you don't have that, you feel like you can't be that? It's a myth. In fact, have you ever read some of the biographies or autobiographies of some of the most successful people in the world? They came from terrible backgrounds. And so we can get this idea in our minds that if we didn't get around the right people, if we haven't met the right people, we haven't done the right people, we it's like, God, if I can just get around that person, then I'm going to be a success. And then you get around that person, you realize they're kind of a terrible person. Because you attach your success to a 
to a person. And again, I'm not saying that relationships aren't important. What I am saying is if you're waiting for the right person to get in your life to become a success, it could produce apathy in your life where you become uninterested in your own success and what you could do on behalf of your own future and purpose. The last one, and this is maybe the most famous, is that success is opposite of failure. There are some of us that believe in order for us to be success in 2020 that the things I put my hand to can't be, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have failed at it. I couldn't have had a moment where I've, I've actually failed at the thing that I feel like God has called me to do. And some of you have given up. Seriously, you've given up on your purpose because you failed in one step at it. And because you failed at it, the enemy got in your mind and you're like, oh, well, I guess I should just not do that. Because I failed at it. But success is not opposite of failure. In fact, success and failures tend to run hand in hand in a lot of ways. A lot of the guys I talk to, I've sat in front of, uh, in front of millionaires and, and extremely successful people. And they have a, they be, I just tell how how'd you get here? All they do is list me all their failures. Incredible success. I was reading in a, um, a leadership, I'm a book junkie. I, I have like four books on my side table. I have audio books. I just love to listen. I just, I can't get enough. I, I love it. And I was reading one on leadership and uh, it, I was telling me a story about Jack Welch, which is the CEO of GE. Extremely successful man. And he was talking about coming up in the ranks of GE. And he, he had this moment where he was doing an experiment for GE that his boss told him to do. And he blew up a corner office in his building. Blew it up. How many of y'all know that's like a failure? That's a mistake. So his boss says, hey, we're, meet me 9 a.m. Tomorrow, tomorrow morning. How many of y'all have ever had that conversation? Anybody? Anybody ever got that text, that phone call? You're like, oh, no. You start updating your resume, right, before you go in there. Just, just tell me. Am I fired? That's like, you know, most, just tell me. So he goes into the meeting, and his boss looks at him, and he goes, he goes well, what do you think I should do with you? And Jack goes, well, I guess it's I guess you're going to fire me, huh? And he goes, fire you? I can't fire you. I just spent millions of dollars teaching you a lesson. We can't fire you now. You got job security. He goes, but I failed. I made a mistake. He goes, yeah, you probably won't do that again, huh? Uh, oh, oh. We look at failure as like the great killer of success. Oftentimes, it's honestly, it's the great catalyst of it. So, so what is it? What is success? I mean, what is this ethereal? It's like, what is success? This is, this is, this is like where you feel good. Or I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll give you what success is defined under the Bible, and Paul highlights it for us. I'm going to go back and read it in Acts. This is important. So if you checked out, if the person next to you is sleeping, nudge him for me. Wake him up. This is it. This is important. This is it. This is what you all came to the, this is what you came for. So he trembling and astonished, which by the way, at some point in your life, when you walk into the presence of God, you should be trembled and astonished. May we never normalize our relationship with Christ. He's the creator of the universe. He's not your homeboy. He's your God. So he says, what I think you and I should do on a regular basis, especially 2020, he says, so Lord, what do you want me to do? Paul highlights what success is for us. Paul recognizes this and he highlights it as simply this success, if you're taking notes, is the fulfillment of God's purpose in my life. Well, how do you know God's purpose in your life? You do what Paul asked God. You ask God the same question. God, what do you want me to do? And here's the great thing about it. When God tells you what to do, deep thoughts. Y'all ready? Lean in. You do it. 
There's no, there's no secret to it. Successful people know how to, okay, God, you told, okay, I'm going to do that. And how often does God speak to us and we go, but you don't understand, God, I'm going to try something else. Uh, come on, let's be honest. I do it too. Well, God, I know you told me to do it, but mm, that don't sound right. I, I was watching a TV show and that, they do the opposite on the TV show. My, but my Facebook said something different. I read a book. There was this guru on, 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 on whatever I'm trying to, and he says to do, but if God said to do it, you, you do it. You ask him what, what God, instead of saying and bringing God your plans for 2020, I'm, I'm trying to iron it out. You start with God. And you say, God, what are your plans for 2020 for me? God, I'm I'm looking at my marriage, and 2019 was okay, but I want to level up in my marriage. What do I do? Tell me what to do. Got my kids. You know, my kids, they're they're my kids. I mean, they are my kids. They look like me. They don't act like me all the time. I don't understand. They don't seem to be much like me. Maybe they're a little more like my wife. They need Jesus. God, they need you. God, mm, I'm okay. I'll just take your word for it that they're mine. God, what do you want me to do with them? Because 2019 was, meh, I want to level up. Got my finances. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm poking on some, 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 some idols. Is that okay? I'm going to poke you a little bit. I'm a doctor. I want to see if there's a bruise. Poke. Okay, so like, come on. So like, okay. Got my finances were meh in 2019. I want them to level up in 2020. God, what do you want me to do? Not what I'm at. Here's what I'm going to do. And then you just get with it, God, in 2020. In your relationships, in your career, in your health, come on, in your friendships, with how you think about your spiritual life, with your Bible, with, come on, I'm talking about everything. God, what do you want me to do? And then I'm just going to do it. I like what David said. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. It's not God fulfilling my purpose for me. It's God fulfilling his purpose for me. And there is a difference. There's a difference. I want to do what God's asked. I want to do what God says. I want to do, because if I can do what God says, then I don't have to end up like Paul and like Aaron on the curb talking about, sorry, I thought I was a good idea. How many of y'all have ever had that moment? Come on, let's be honest. Maybe once or twice in 2019. You thought it was a good idea and then you did it and then it wasn't so good. We all have it. The best way I know to keep away from it is to do what God asks us to do especially as we start our year. So how do I know God's purpose as I'm closing and I'm done? How do I know God's purpose? Well, the first way you, you can know God's purpose is through his word, his Bible. You know, I highly encourage you, if you, if you haven't taken a chance at, at reading this book, this would be the best thing you can do for yourself in 2020. And don't start being like, okay, hey, I'm going to read like 15 chapters a day. That's like my resolution. How about you read one verse? How often? How do I need to? I don't know. Ask God. I'd rather you read one verse a week and understand it than you read 50 a day and not understand it. You got to read his word. God, what does your word say about my marriage? What does your word say about my kids? What does your word say about my finances? What do your words say about my health? God, what he talks about all of that in here. 
You want to find out what God is, His purpose for your life, start with His Word. Second one is this is prayer. We have a 21-day prayer going on right now corporately in our church. And I'd highly recommend you. you we're doing it on Facebook. Every day we do it live. We, we, we do it live in the morning, and you can do it later. And you can, you can do it at any time you want. But we have a card in the back, and you can fill out the card and read the prayers and do what we're praying about. What we, we pray corporately. But there's something powerful about Have you ever noticed that like, when you want to know what God wants for you, why don't you just ask Him? And God can speak to you in a time of prayer. Third one is, is wise counsel. You know, sometimes you, you need to get around people who, who maybe have been there. Maybe have walked out maybe a, a process that you're trying to do. Maybe there's a spiritual leader in your life. Maybe there's somebody you can get around and you can ask them their wise counsel. And let me just give you, can I give you a hint about asking somebody for counsel? Let me give you a hint, okay? Because I get this asked a lot and a lot of people do this to me. And I don't think it's intentional, but I just want to give you a hint. A lot of people ask wise counsel of me or pastors on our staff. And what you'll do is you'll say, I asked God... God told me to do this, so I did it. What do you think? That's not asking for wise counsel. What am I going to say? God didn't tell you. I'm not going to talk. I don't know. Maybe God told you that. But if you really want to know my opinion, don't go do it and then ask me to affirm it. You're not asking for my counsel. You're asking for my affirm affirmation. If you really want my counsel, and the reason we do that is because you're afraid of I might tell you no. <laughs> you ever notice that? And so instead of doing something and then walking up and telling me, hey, will you just, will you, okay, will you rubber stamp this? Don't throw the guard card, God card out to your counsel. Walk out and say, hey, you know, here's how you do it. Hey, I, I feel like God's telling me this, that I should take this step. But I want to just double check. What do you think? What do you feel about this? I want to give you permission. I'm going to invite you in to tell me what you think. What is God telling you about what he's telling me? Do you see the difference? Then I have the freedom to give you my opinion, maybe share with you some wisdom in Scripture, maybe give you some biblical advice without going against what God told you. <laughs> and honestly, if God told you, they'll all line up. He doesn't contradict His Word. He won't tell you something that don't make no sense in this book. And so getting wise counsel can help you know your purpose. Well, God, what do you want me to do? The last one is this is the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this year. We're going to have a couple of series. I'm going to do a series on the Holy Spirit who he is, what's his purpose in our life. We are a spirit-filled church. That matters. And let me just tell you, moving forward, as our world gets darker and darker, the world doesn't need a bunch of more churches that have a whole lot of information. I'm just telling you, the world's going to need churches that have a whole lot of transformation, impartation, Holy Spirit moments that aren't weird and manufactured by man, but that are genuine and actually bring about tangible transformation in the lives of the people who follow Jesus Christ. That's what they need. And so having that moment with the Holy Spirit, being able to ask him, God, what help me? There's times in scripture where great men and women of God, they, they, all that made the difference was that they had, there was a great statement. He said, it felt good to me and the Holy Spirit, that there was something that felt right and holy about what I was going to do. Four ways to maybe figure out what God wants you to do in 2020. My prayer is that you start with Him first so that you could truly be a success today.